Hey guys, I'm Diva. And I'm Avni. And welcome to Positionality. Where we've been up to a ton of projects since we last recorded. We actually released a short documentary on our YouTube, which you can go check out. Link is in the description. And Diva, do you want to go ahead and tell them what it was about? Yeah, sure. So basically we talked about opulence and the way that wealth and the illusion of wealth is perceived in our current day society. We made a lot of connections and showed how and talked about how wealth and opulence has been used as a method of empowerment, but now seems to be used at the disadvantage of those at a lower position in society. And in the short documentary, we essentially examined how the wealthy get their money and scrutinize what they do with it. But we almost never scrutinize how they give it away, which is one of the most important parts that actually contribute to them getting more control and power in society. And that's what actually inspired this episode on philanthropy, an important part of American tradition that has played an essential role in shaping our society. I mean, in 2018 alone, Americans donated over $400 billion to charity. But even though this number has been increasing in the past couple of years, the number of Americans donating to charity is actually decreasing. 30% of all philanthropic donations can be attributed to only the top 1% of the wealthiest Americans. So while this might seem beneficial on the surface, you know, we are genuinely trying to make the world a better place by giving those who are disadvantaged money, right? You're just throwing money at problems and helping those in need. But actually, big philanthropy is a lot more than just that. It enables them to essentially donate money in ways that benefit the wealthy at the expense of the marginalized and impoverished and in general disadvantaged in society. So I think we've all heard of wealthy billionaires using money to lobby for certain legislations or referendums, but I don't think we consider that billionaires can have that same sort of political control through philanthropy. So an example of that are the Koch brothers. Avni, do you know about them? Yes, I've heard a lot about our two eventful old little prunes. <laughs> Apparently, they're two conservative billionaires, Charles and David Koch, and they've donated to several 501c4 conservative groups. So for those of you that don't know what 501c4s are, they're basically um, social or political groups that you can donate to get tax returns on, and keep your donations anonymous. Essentially, they've poured money into these groups as well as into their own civics group, known as Americans for Prosperity, or the AFP. This foundation has been attempting to kill public transit projects. In Nashville, Tennessee, a plan for light rail expansion to existing successful light rails seemed to have the support of the majority of civilians. However, on election day, Nashville ended up voting against light rail expansion. And it's important to look at why. There were a bunch of counter campaigns run by the AFP saying that light rail expansion would be a waste of taxpayer dollars. Across the country, in places such as Arkansas, Arizona, 
Michigan, and Utah. AFP has been fighting for the expansion or fighting the expansion of public transit and are able to do so because of the donations and flooding of money that the Koch brothers have essentially put into the organization. And I guess it's important to question, what's their motivation for doing so? I mean, just killing public transit, which is something that would be beneficial to more civilians, just seems like a terrible thing to do. So what's in it for the Koch brothers? So I remember when I first heard about this, I was very confused. I didn't know what kind of motive they could have for killing public transportation of all things. But it turns out that the Koch brothers own Koch Industries, which is a major producer of gas, asphalt, seatbelts, and other automotive parts. I mean, that makes a lot of sense when you hear that. I mean, by opposing public transit, and by killing it essentially, it would cause citizens to invest in their own vehicles, cars, and it would increase spending on highways and roads. Basically, only being profitable to the Koch brothers. Essentially, it is an example of why big philanthropy is detrimental to society. It gives too much power to the wealthy to shape public policies in ways that benefit them at the expense of others. Because keep in mind, the people who are using public transit are the ones who don't have access to personal vehicles such as cars. This comes at the expense of the marginalized and impoverished, who need this public transport in order to get to their jobs and just operate in daily society. And if they can't, you essentially continue to perpetuate the wealth gap between the rich and the impoverished. Not to mention that if billionaires like the Koch brothers use 501c4 groups for their philanthropic donations, they can maintain a relative amount of anonymity. Meaning that while we know about this, there are so many other examples that we probably know nothing about. Just because they're able to have such an impact on public policy in a very illicit way. There are so many other instances of big philanthropy that still contribute to social and political change that don't even happen as overtly as the 501c4s happen. For example, the Sackler family. So, Sony, have you heard about the Sackler family? Yes. So, originally all I knew about them was that they made a lot of contributions to a lot of art museums. So stuff like to the Louvre, the Victoria and Albert Museum, the Brooklyn Museum, and a couple other art institutions. And arguably that would shape their public view of them as positive, respectable members of society. I mean, hey look, these people are donating major wings to museums and atria and all of these really, really major meaningful contributions to society. However, they've recently come under scrutiny for their role in the opioid crisis. In fact, they have a company called Purdue Pharma that sold opioids such as Oxycontin, morphine, and fentanyl, one of the most lethal opioids to ever exist. In fact, a pinch of it that's smaller than the penny could kill an elephant. They essentially pushed healthcare professionals to over-prescribe these drugs with the knowledge of their fatal addictiveness. In 2017 alone, there were about 47,600 deaths due to these opioids, but the crisis has been going on for much longer than that. So it's important to look at why or how the Sacklers 
have been able to keep their illegal affairs from the public eye for so long. It's interesting that, like, if you see something like the opioid crisis, something that's so well-known and so detrimental to society, you would think that people would be immediate to pin the blame. But in the case of the Sacklers, that didn't happen. And that's because they were able to spread their wealth in such almost magnanimous ways that the only way people viewed them was positive. I mean, when you go to art museums and see entire wings named after these people, the Sacklers, you're gonna assume that they're good people contributing members to society. You wouldn't think that they would be responsible for something as detrimental as the opioid crisis. Also, if you look at where their donations happened, this generosity tended to be in places where influential people gathered, whereas injustice tended to happen out of view. Essentially, they were able to shape the public perception of those who have the power to bring them down. Those who had an essential say in society were the ones who had the rose-colored glasses on. So while they were able to paint this rosy picture of themselves through their philanthropic contributions, they were able to also pump drugs into a society that no one necessarily gives a voice to in mainstream media. So the worst part about these billionaires and wealthy people having political and social control is that they're actually making money off of it. So one way big philanthropy is able to enhance the wealth of billionaires at the expense of others in society are philanthropic contributions made through donor-advised funds. So in recent years, these funds have become increasingly popular. And the reason why is because they have greater tax deductions and can actually get immediate tax returns without having to send the money to a charity within a specific time frame. Essentially, the money that they put in these donor-advised funds can sit there for an infinite amount of time without them actually having to go to charities. Because nothing says charitable contribution, like just not giving it to charity in the first place, <laughs> and then taking more money in tax deductions out of the government. Exactly. Not to mention that a lot of these donors aren't even donating hard money to these advice funds. They're turning in their business interests, real estate, fine art, and jewelry and turning that into charitable capital. And one way in which they're doing this is by donating stocks, which actually have more benefits to the donors themselves. You know, by donating stocks to donor-advised funds, these wealthy people can get major tax deductions so that the government is actually giving more money to these donors and tax deductions than the money coming out of the donor-advised funds to begin with. And due to the fact that there are no actual regulations in place regarding how much money needs to turn out from these donor-advised funds, the money can sit for an infinite period of time without being given away, as we said earlier. So not only are big philanthropists essentially evading taxes that pay for important social programs, such as social security, major health programs, uh, un unemployment insurance, food stamps, low-income housing assistance, and so many more. But they're not allocating their contributions to charities that do help society. In essence, the entire logic behind 
these billionaires donating to charity is not even there because the money that they're donating isn't going to charities and instead they're getting money from the government which is money that could be used to help those in lower positions of society. In this way they're also having social and political control but in much more subtle ways. Arguably there are some people that do put their money towards causes that would help society. I mean, take Bill Gates, for example, who has helped a lot with educational reform. And I say helped very lightly because how much of an impact does this help actually have? There was this one book that I was reading in my English class called The House of the Spirits. It's a fantastic book, by the way, that follows this girl, follows an entire family that lives in, I believe, South America. Uh, I believe this is in Chile. And essentially, she is talking about this one period in her life where her mom used to take her to the slums on the outskirts of the city, and they basically helped those impoverished or people in need with food and clothes and anything else that would somewhat help the poor. But this girl writes in this novel, on these occasions, the child wrote with formidable intuition that charity had no effect on such monumental injustice. Essentially, despite your philanthropic contributions to society that might make you feel good about yourself, you know, hey, I'm doing something to help someone, nothing is being done to change this systemically in that while you might be able to help them for a moment, these people are still going to be suffering for generations to come. I mean, that's why generational poverty is a thing. Even later in The House of the Spirits, the same character, Clara, she actually says, she agrees that their philanthropic contributions don't actually have any effect and don't really help people. Rather, it's just a way for them to soothe their own conscience. And that kind of connects to the way that when a lot of these billionaires are donating money, it's not actually doing much in terms of helping the underprivileged. Rather, it's just affecting everybody else's consciousness and very effectively changing the view of the public eye to look at these people as much more beneficial and good members of society than they may actually be, which in this case, in the case of the Sacklers, definitely is wrong. And this idea of the wealthy gaining control to through philanthropic contributions isn't something that's new. It goes back to the Gilded Age with Andrew Carnegie, an American industrialist with major stakes in the steel industry. He preached that the wealthy had a responsibility to assist the underprivileged through philanthropic contributions and subsequently help improve society. In his essay, The Gospel of Wealth, he mentions that the wealthy should use their superior wisdom, experience, and ability to administer, doing for them better than they would or could do for themselves. He's essentially saying, hey, the wealthy are superior, so they should shape society as they see best. The way that he actually looked at wealth and power is that while he had monopolized his own industry, he actually believed that the reason he had been able to do so was that he was, on a basic level, more intelligent and more capable than the average person. He actually said in that same essay, It is best for the race, 
because it ensures the survival of the fittest in every department. Basically, he was able to sort of rationalize his monopolies with the idea that it was only because of survival of the fittest, through an evolutionary concept that because he was, on a basic level, more capable than the average person, he deserved every bit of wealth and power that he had. And that those lesser than him didn't deserve that control. It's really interesting that you bring that up because in the same book, The House of the Spirits, um, there's this one character named Esteban Chureva. He essentially is the patron of the society or the major leader who thinks it is his responsibility to make sure everyone in this society is taken care of. And he actually makes the remark, what they don't realize is that these poor people are completely ignorant and uneducated. They're like children. They can't handle responsibility. How could they know what's best for them? Without me, Esteban, they'd be lost. This for me is one of the most significant quotes in the book. Because it's so interesting to see that while everybody around him sees him as a dictator, he thinks that his power is deserved. On a very basic level, he simply views everyone around him as inferior. And that's the reason he uses as justification for his brutal control of those around him and his lack of empathy towards them because he doesn't view them as equals. He views them as inferiors and as others, essentially, in society and thinks that it's his responsibility to control them. And this book is mainly about the Chilean social revolution. So they bring up this allegory where they talk about hens and foxes. Essentially, foxes predate on hens over and over again. And one day, the hens were sick of it. So they essentially joined forces to confront a fox who came into the chicken coop every night to steal eggs and eat the baby chicks. This is very grotesque imagery. So the hens decided that they had had enough of the fox's abuse. They waited for him in a group. And when he entered the chicken coop, they blocked his path, surrounded him, and pecked him half to death before he knew what happened. Looking back on it, it's interesting to look at how the characters perceive this allegory. In fact, one of the characters laughed at the story and said it was impossible because hens are born stupid and weak, and foxes are born astute and strong. Essentially, we have this perception in society that lower classes aren't capable of having autonomy over themselves, and therefore we automatically have to reign some sort of control, or see some sort of control, to those in power, those who are perceived as educated, those who are perceived as strong competitors, often the wealthy, in order to shape our society. But the fact of the matter is, is that we can't rely, keep relying on billionaires to fix everything for us, because that goes against the democratic institutions, which we have formed the country on. I mean, I was listening to this one interview with Greta Thunberg, and uh, I forget which news anchor she was on, but essentially she was asked if the president called you and said he could wave a presidential magic wand, what would you tell him to do? And she said, nothing. 
because that would be undemocratic. And democracy is the most precious thing we have. We don't need magic or fairy tales. We need to tell it like it is. The same thing applies to our society of big philanthropy. While it's great that these philanthropists are trying to help, when the, that help is motivated by moral desert, but even then, that change isn't necessarily approved by everyone in society. They're just changing whatever they can with the power that they have that isn't necessarily warranted by those that, are, that they are affecting. So rather than relying on big philanthropists to sprinkle their magic fairy dust powder of money, why don't we just look at it more pragmatically and find a solution that would stop this disparity in wealth from growing? Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like this episode, be sure to add it to any playlist that you have on Spotify. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and be sure to like, comment, and subscribe on our YouTube channel. We have a YouTube channel, which we'll put in the description below, where we're going to be uploading additional content. So we have things like short documentaries and short films and conversations and interviews and a lot of more content. That's a lot more conversational, and we would love for you guys to engage in the conversation with us on those platforms. Also, if you want to continue the conversation somewhere else, make sure to reach out to us at on Instagram, which is just at Positionality Media. You can also email us at positionalitymedia at gmail.com, or on Anchor, we actually have listener messages turned on, so you can send us a message if you have anything you want to talk to us about. Other than that, we'll see you guys next time.